Good morning. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm a pastor here. It's uh, great to see all of you here with us today, and thanks for those of you who are joining us online. We uh, have been going through the last few weeks a series, a new series called Identity, and we've been talking about who we really are, who God says that we are, and that's a very important thing for us to understand. And we're going to be talking more about that for the next few weeks, specifically about something that God says about every one of us, who we really are and what he meant for us to be. But I don't want to get into the sermon before we actually get into the sermon. So let me read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. If you have a Bible and you would like to read along, feel free. If you don't have a Bible or you'd rather look at a screen, feel free to do that also. This is God's word. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Let me pray for us. Lord, this is your word. It is true. It is right. It is good. And we want to learn what you really say about us. We want you to shape the way we understand our identity so that we would live out of that identity. Help us to understand what it means to be created in your image today. And Holy Spirit, we, we know we need you. Will, will you fill me and empower me that I may speak words that will really resonate and connect with this group of people who are listening? And would you work in all who are hearing what uh, you have put on my mind and my heart to say to this group of people that they too would resonate with your truth and that they would live it out and believe and trust what you say about them. And most of all, uh, point us to Jesus. Point us to our need for him. Give us clarity in what it really means uh, to know life because we know our Lord Jesus. And even for those today here who are listening but who do not yet believe, work in them that they would see the beauty of Jesus today and that they would want to respond with real faith, real repentance, and real obedience. Uh, we ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory along with the Father, and uh, the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. If I were to ask you, how many personality tests do you think there are in the United States right now? 
how many do you think there would be? Just give it a thought. 10, 15, 20, 50? How about 2,500? According to one source, personality tests in the United States have reached over 2,000, almost 2,500 different kinds of personality tests in, on the market in the United States. Now, maybe it's just me, but that seems excessive, just a little bit. But chances are, if you are under the age of 50 and above the age of 12 or 13, you've probably taken one of these tests. And there's a good number of you who don't fit that age category that you have taken those tests as well, or at least one of them, whether it's the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or the DISC profile or the online quiz to see which Disney princess you're most like. <laughs> I dare say that most of us in this room, and even those watching online, have probably taken some type of one of those 2,500 personality tests. I'm no different. When it comes to Myers-Briggs, I'm either INTJ or INFJ, depending on my mood when I take the test. For Enneagram, I'm a type four with a um, very strong high three wing. Uh, for the disc profile, I am a high C. And, and yeah, I, I got to admit, Disney princess, um, I'm most like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Had to be thorough. Now, why am I talking about personality tests? It, it seems to me that the proliferation and the popularity of these personality tests tells us something about ourselves in our modern age. We really long to know who we are. We want to really understand ourselves. And we will go to great lengths to try to figure out who we really are and what we're really like. And in the first sermon in this series, we saw how if we really want to understand who we actually are, we have to start with the one who created us our Creator, our God. We have to start there. If we don't start there, we're going to have skewed views. So what does God say about us? Who does God say that we are? Well, today, from Genesis, we see something that should be mind-blowing, but I think for some of us in the church, we've heard it so much that we just like, eh, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. For those of you who are unchurched, maybe this will be the first time you've heard this. But what God says about us, first and foremost, the very first thing he says about us is that we are created in the image of God. That we are created in the image of God. Take a look one more time at Genesis Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in 
our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. It's pretty clear God created us in his image is what he says. Now, what does that mean? That's the big question, right? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, let me just tell you, a lot of ink has been spilled over this. I could spend the rest of the service, and re in fact, the rest of the afternoon, telling you all the different views that are there in the Christian church throughout the centuries about what it means to be created in the image of God most of you could care less, right, about that kind of history. So I won't bore you with that. I will tell you what I believe is the best way to understand what is really going on when uh, God says that we are created in his image. Think about the ancient kings, right? When an ancient king would go into a territory, or even in his own territory, and he wanted to say, look, I am your king, but I can't be everywhere all at once. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make an image. And that image represents me. That image reflects something about me. There is a unique relationship between me and this image so that when you see that image, what's supposed to come to your mind is me. Now, that image doesn't have to look like the king. It just has to be an image that has that status placed upon it. I mean, it could be a fish instead of a human. It could be a rock. It could be anything. As long as the king says, this is the image that I want you to see as it represents me. It reflects me. It has a unique relationship to me so that when you see this image, you should think of me. For example, um, for those of you who know something about the Bible, there's a story in Daniel chapter 3 where King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image. And he basically says, when you see this image, you should bow down to it. Why does he say that? Because when they see that image, they were to look at that image and think, this is our king, we should bow down to our king. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And I believe that is what this is go that's what's going on here when God says, let us make man in our image. The image is to represent him. The image is to reflect something about him. The image is a unique, has a unique relationship between him and the image. And now I'm going to say something that some of you are going to go like, what? But you need to hear this. Because this is one of those things that, okay, I, I have a few pet peeves in life. This is one of them. Image of God language. The way we talk about image of God. We say things like the image of God in human beings, as if there is something inside me that is the image of God, but I, am, I myself am not the image of God. 
Or we say, he bears God's image, as if there's something I'm carrying that is the image of God, but I myself am not really the image of God. The scriptures don't talk about that at all. The scriptures say that we are created in the image of God, and therefore, you want to see what the image of God is? You're looking at it. And not just me. When you look at each other, you're looking at it. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at it. We are created in the image of God, and the image of God is not something in us or even done by us. It is our status. Let me say that again. The image of God isn't something in us. It is not something even done by us. It is our status. Let me give you an illustration to try to help apply this. Um, some of you know that I am the president of the Sumter Ministerial Alliance. Now you may ask, Stuart, how did you become the president of the Sumter Ministerial Alliance? It's a funny story. I showed up to a meeting, my first meeting, by the way, and everybody looked around and the, pre the, the former president said, you know, I'm stepping down, we need someone else to be the president of the Sumter Ministerial Alliance. And so everybody looked around because nobody wanted to do it. And they said, hey, here's a warm body. Let's see if he will do it. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is my first meeting. I can't lead this organization. And they said, well, nobody else wants to do it. And I wasn't, um, I wasn't healthy enough to say no. So here I am. You know, nobody in that room looked at me and said, this guy's the next great leader. This guy's going to lead the Sumter Ministerial Alliance into the future. Nobody said that. They just looked at me and said, here's a warm body and the guy can't say no. <laughs> and that's my status. Wasn't anything in me. It was a status that was bestowed upon me by that organization. Has nothing to do with what's on the inside. It has everything to do with the status that's placed on me. And on top of that, I, I know you know that there's been this pandemic that's been going on for a while. And because of the pandemic, the Sumter Ministerial Alliance really hasn't done a whole lot over the last year or so. In fact, because of that and because of the new group, the Sumter Leaders of Faith, most of the effort has been placed on that group rather than the Sumter Ministerial Alliance. And so I like to tell people when they ask, what's going on with the Sumter Ministerial Alliance? I say that we are functionally defunct. And I like saying it that way because it's fun to say, functionally defunct. But we really are. And so as the president of the Sumter Ministerial Alliance, I really have not done a whole lot over this last year. But you know what people who are out in the community who know me by that title, you know what they call me? The president of the Sumter Ministerial Alliance. Even though I haven't done a thing over the last year for that organization. Why? Because it's a status. 
has nothing to do with what I do with that status. It has to do with the status that was placed upon me. And that, my friends, is what the image of God is for you. It is a status that has been placed upon every one of you, every person on the face of the earth. If you are a human being, you have the status of being made in the image of God. That's what the scriptures would bear out. It is not our intellect. It is not our relationships. It is not how we perform. It's none of those things. It is a status that God said, this is who you are. And because of that, all right, hold on. Because of that, our status as images of God, because it's a status and not based on our performance, whether we are or not, it's not based on something inside of us, because it's a status, our status as images of God is not lost or destroyed by sin. I know there's some folks that would go, wait a second, Stuart, hold on. Sin has affected every part of us. Now, for those of you who are not in the know, sin is anything that does not conform to who God is in his character, okay? So if, if I say something, if I do something, if I think something that is out of line with who God is, that is what we define as sin, all right? And we believe that sin has affected every part of us, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we speak, the way we act, everything. So how can you say that the status of being an image of God is not lost or destroyed by sin? How can you say that, Stuart? That sounds almost heretical. Maybe we should bring you up before the presbytery. Well, before you do that, take a look at the scriptures. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Now let's remember where this falls in the series of events in history. This is after God has destroyed the entire world, basically, except for one family, Noah's family, by a flood because of sin. All right? And, and now it's just Noah and his family. Now, Noah and his family, even though they were better people than the others, I guess, in that sense, in the way God looked at things, they still messed up. They still sinned. Okay? They weren't perfect. And what God says as he starts over in verse 6 of chapter 9, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. In other words, he's saying, remember, I made you with the status that you represent me. So if someone kills you, basically what they're doing is they're trying to kill me. So you can't have that. That's not acceptable. And then there's James chapter 3. But no human being can tame the tongue. Boy, isn't that right. <laughs> it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. So James is saying, look, here you are, you're praising God with your lips, and then you're saying bad things about somebody who's made in his image. Now think about this for a minute. Who are you most likely to curse? Someone who always is doing good things and caring for you and loving you well? Or someone who's wronged you? Someone who's sinned? Right? And you know what? God says we curse that person and that person has the status of being made in the image of God. So, see, sin does not remove the image of God from us. It does not remove the status. It doesn't, it's not lost. It's not destroyed. It's not as if once you sin, you're no longer in the image of God. No, you still are created in the image of God because that is a status that God has placed upon you. Let me try to give a, a brief illustration that may help with this. Some of you know that over on the sabbatical that I took a few weeks ago, um, uh, the Mazelle family had a great adventure where we went out west. And uh, it was the first time that we had ever flown together as a family. And that was fun, getting on a plane for the first time with the family and, you know, the nervousness that comes with that and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you also have to leave your vehicle, you know, in the um, long-term parking when you go fly. And then when you come back, and you're tired because your flight got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back until we got back hours and hours later than we were supposed to. And we just want to get home. And we had to fly into Charlotte. And, you know, Charlotte's a couple of hours away. So here we are. We're tired. We're ready to get home. And we go out to the parking lot. We get in our van and we turn the ignition. And, of course, nothing happens. Our battery had died, so we had to wait for someone to come by and charge the battery. Now let me ask you, because that battery messed up and the van couldn't run, is it no longer a van? Oh, you might say it's a lemon, <laughs> but that's metaphorical, right? It didn't change from a van to a literal lemon. It's still a van. It's just a van that is not functioning properly. That's what we are. We are still the image of God, but we're not functioning properly. So sin does affect the status of our image of God, but not by losing it, not by destroying it, but it, 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 it affects us this way. Sin does, however, prevent us from expressing the full measure of God's image. Sin doesn't destroy the image. It doesn't lose the image. But sin does, however, prevent us from expressing the full measure of God's image. Now, some of you are going, God, that's really... Stuart, that is so abstract. you got to give me something solid to understand that. All right. When I was a child... I loved coloring books. Anybody else like to color? Anybody? I'm the only one. Okay. Love to color. When I was a child, I would sit for hours just coloring. And some of my favorite coloring books were um, superhero coloring books, like this one. This is a Spider-Man. And um, if you look in here, 
And I have asked Paul to help because I know you might not be able to see this. So watch out. Here comes an image on screen. There we go. Now, who is that an image of? Who is it? It's Spider-Man. Now, you look at that image and you say, that, that's Spider-Man. You know who that is, right? You can look at it and you say, that is an image of Spider-Man. Okay, is it everything it could be? No, I mean, yeah, that's why you color it in, right? Because it can be so much more. It can express the full glory of who Spider-Man really is. And I know there are some of you who think Superman is better than Spider-Man, but just, come on. Spider-Man is more relatable. That's for you, Nathan, wherever you are. Some of you don't know, but anyway, he, he preached about something and he brought up Superman and said Superman was the greatest superhero. Pfft, whatever. So here's, here's an image of Spider-Man, and yet it's still the image, but it could be so much more. It could have so much more glory to it. And in the same way, that's us. We have the status of being in the image of God. But there's so much more that glory that we could reflect back to Him. So much more. And sin is what hinders us from experiencing that. As the Scriptures say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Me, you, there's not one of us have lived up to what it really means to be created in the image of God. Well, I take that back. There was one of us. And his name was Jesus. You see, Jesus is the standard of what it means to be the image of God. Jesus is the standard of what it means to be the image of God. Because He is very God of very God who took on flesh and came to live among us. He reflects God perfectly, even as a human being. God in the flesh, but as a human being, He is reflecting who God really is in His human nature. As 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory, uh, sorry, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ is the standard. Or, same thing in Colossians 1.15. Christ, He is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what God acts like? You look at Jesus, and that's where you see who God really is. Jesus is the standard for what it means to live as an image of God. And you know what? None of us live up to Jesus' standard, right? I mean, how can you? He's Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just show us the standard. This is the good news, people. This is where we can get excited, even as Presbyterians. We can get a little excited about this because Jesus doesn't just show us a standard and say, mm, you didn't live up to it. 
No, Jesus brings us renewal as images of God. Jesus brings us renewal to be all that we can be, and you don't even have to join the army. Isn't that good news? Jesus brings us renewal as images of God, as we see in Ephesians 4, 20-24. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's sin. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Or Colossians 3, 9 through 10, who basically says the same thing. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, that's what Jesus does. He sees that we have failed to live up to the standard, but then he comes not only as the standard, he comes to renew us from the inside out so that we can be what God really meant for us to be. Yeah, he forgives our sins and that's great. He does all kinds of things for us. He cares for us. He loves us, but he renews us to be what God has created us to be in the first place. And even better, because the destiny that we all have is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. To really reflect God as his images. So yeah, we have failed to image God well, but Jesus is the perfect image of God. We have failed to live up to God's standard but Jesus is the standard. We have failed to live up to the glory of God, but Jesus is God's glory. We have failed to display God's righteous character, but Jesus is righteousness. We have failed to display God's wisdom in our lives, but Jesus is wisdom. We have failed to truly live as God intended us to live, but Jesus is life. We have failed to renew ourselves no matter how hard we try, but Jesus is our renewal. And we have failed to live out our destiny, but Jesus is our destiny. And we have failed to be all that we can be, all that God has created us to be, but Jesus, Jesus, He is our all in all. Is that what you believe, Christian? Jesus is what we really need to be all that God has called us to be. All that He created us to be. Now, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news after all that good news, but there is something that needs to be said. That what I, all that I just said, if Jesus is the standard and he is the one who renews us in the image of God, then this means we cannot reach the full potential of being the image of God apart from Christ. We're like this picture of Spider-Man. Well, this is a different one, but anyway, you know, we can image God in one way, but we will never reach the full potential of what God intended us to be because sin will hinder us. 
We cannot reach the full potential of being the image of God apart from Christ. You know, um, recently I read about uh, this marble cathedral in Chile. Has anybody ever heard of it? It, it is supposedly one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's the, the, this lake, and on the lake there's this, these caves and caverns, and you can go into the cave and cavern and you can see uh, caverns of swirled marble that are just beautiful and the light reflects off of it and it's just something amazing to behold. In fact, if you look up Chile and things to do in Chile, it's one of the things that they say, you should do this if you go there. But you do need to understand this. You can't get there by car. You can't get there by walking. You can't get there by bicycle. The only way you can get there is you have to get on a boat because it's out in the middle of this huge lake and the caverns are full of water. So the only way you can actually see the inside of that cavern, to see this marble cathedral in Chile, is you have to get on board a boat. In the same way, folks, we will never reach the destination of where God was wanting to take us unless we get on board with Jesus. You want to be all that God created you to be? You can't do it apart from Christ. You can't. Because He is the standard and He is the one who renews us. So if you really want to be what God created you to be, you have to have Jesus. You have to. And that's not just me saying that. That's Jesus saying that. John 15. Words that I have tried to memorize and tried to live out because it is so important for us to grasp this. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You have the status of image of God. But how are you doing in living up to that status? Apart from Jesus you'll never reach where God wants you to be. So if you like action points, this one's going to be a weird one, but it's one that's important. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Now you're thinking, well, hold on, Stuart, what does that mean? I got a quote for you from J.C. Ryle. J.C. To abide in Christ means to help Sorry, it means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him. To be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have His words abiding in us is to keep His sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Would you like for me to summarize that for you? 
You rest in Jesus. You look to Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, you look to Jesus. When you go to bed at night, you look to Jesus. When you are trying to do ministry, you look to Jesus. When you're not trying to do ministry, you look to Jesus. When you're trying to love your spouse, you look to Jesus. When you're trying to love your children, you look to Jesus. When you're trying to obey your parents, you look to Jesus. When you're trying to do anything, you look to Jesus because you recognize you cannot be what God calls you to be apart from Him. Of course, that means for those of you who don't believe, you need to start there. (laughs) Crying out to Jesus, I need you. I want to be what God has created me to be, but I know I can't apart from you. Help me, save me. And for those of you who do believe, that just means don't try to add Jesus on as a condiment to your life. Too many of us We want to have it the Burger King way. You know, you can have it your way, any way, all the way, any day. And we go in and we like add a little Jesus like ketchup on our burger. Jesus is the burger. I know that's not theologically accurate, but you get what I'm saying. Jesus is the all in all of what your life is to be. Jesus is our life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Do you see what we're saying here, what the Scriptures are saying? If you want to know what it really means to image God, to be His image, you got to look to Jesus. And if you want to live up to that standard, you have to start and end and in the middle be with Jesus. There's no other way. Now, because there was an announcement today about a life group, I, I want to take, this is, this is unscripted, all right? Watch out, who knows what's gonna come out of my mouth. Um, because there was an announcement about life group, I do wanna say this. A lot of times when we think about abiding in Jesus, it's all about me. You know, I'm the one who has to abide in Jesus. I'm the one who has to spend quiet time. I have to pray. I have to read the Bible. I have to do this. I have to do this. It's all about me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. That's not a biblical idea. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's not talking to just individuals. He's talking to a community. We cannot grow together to be what God has called us to be as images of God apart from being together. That's why God didn't just create Adam. He created Adam and Eve. Male and female, he created them because he knew it takes community to be all that God has called us to be. So, if you are not involved in a life group, where people are speaking truth into your life, and you're not involved in a life group where you're learning how to abide in Jesus by listening to other people and watching other people and being encouraged by other people, I encourage you, get involved in one. Whether it's the new one or whether it's one of the old ones, or if you want to start your own, go for it. We need each other to learn how to abide in Christ. And we're never going to get there because God created us as a community, not as an individual. That is for free. Again, that's not even in the notes. All right, so because of Jesus, 
Let's grow. Let's grow into the full measure of our status as images of God. And, and because this is such an important part of um, who we, how we see ourselves, we're going to come back to this passage next week. So if you like advertisements, this is a little blurb for next Sunday. You don't want to miss some of the stuff we're going to talk about next week. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are the standard. And we don't live up. And we're thankful that you forgive us of our sins, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but we're even more thankful that you just don't leave us as forgiven sinners, and that's it. That you also renew us to be all that we were meant to be because of our Father's intention for us. So for those who do not believe, Holy Spirit, will you work in their minds and their hearts Will you work in their innermost being that they would see the beauty of what it means to be created in your image and that they too would believe and want to live in the fullness of that. And for those of us who do believe, give us a picture of what it really means to live out of the status that you've bestowed on us by your grace and love. Allow us to grow into it, grow up into it, that we would be more and more reflective of who you really are. And most of all, will you help us to abide in you, Jesus? Encourage us through one another, through your Spirit, through your Word, through prayer, through whatever means you see fit. Work in us that we would grow to be more like you as we abide in you and bear much fruit for your glory. Amen.